0: welcome to a beggar who found bread i am brad alexander i'm just a beggar i found the bread of life messiah yeshua and i pray that others will also come and find this bread this episode living on a prayer yeah a little love from bon jovi on this episode straight out of new jersey wait can anything good come out of new jersey well yeah, I guess so. Just hold your breath when you're on the turnpike. Yikes. It's not so much the burning in your nostrils as it is the watering in your eyes. Ugh, ugh. That's a horrible stench driving that Jersey turnpike. Anyway, Bon Jovi was crazy popular through the late 80s, early 90s. I wasn't really a big fan of them, but, you know, I thought they were okay. Here's something crazy, though. The only Grammy Award they ever won was in 2006. The band won the best country collaboration with vocals for its performance with Jennifer Nettles on Who Says You Can't Go Home. That just seemed weird to me. One, that they hadn't won a Grammy before that, because I figured they, they must have. And two, when they finally did, it was for a country song. Eh, Whatever. It's not about the music. It's about the message. Living on a prayer. I wanted to take a look at and discuss what is commonly called the prayer of salvation or even the sinner's prayer. I think the latter name, sinner's prayer, gets used less and less frequently the more and more woke we become because, you know, it sounds kind of judgy. Anyway, in either event, the prayer of salvation is used at crusades, revivals, and weekly church services all around as an altar call. After preaching a message, the speaker will either ask for all eyes to be closed, or sometimes they call people up front. And... Occasionally, Christians from the congregation or the crowd, they'll walk forward also so the people responding to the altar call won't feel so awkward being the only ones going forward. Now, perhaps a couple of questions get asked. Do you know that you need God in your life? Do you acknowledge that you are a sinner? Do you want to go to heaven? Now, These aren't necessarily bad questions to ask someone. There should be some follow-up. There should be some engagement and some discussion. um, These things are unfortunately usually done in a really brief amount of time. And so, again, they're, they're not necessarily bad questions. The question about if you want to go to heaven is a curious one to me, though. Because, first of all, I don't know of anyone who responds to an altar call going forward or raises a hand that would say, no, I don't want to go to heaven, right? And then two, the preacher is basically guaranteeing them that if they pray the subsequent prayer sincerely, they get to go to heaven. And I don't believe anyone with certainty can back that up, certainly not with scripture, that a one-time prayer seals the deal, the preacher will then invite the people to pray. And it's usually, you know, a repeat after me situation, urging respondents to say something to the effect of, and many of you have probably heard these before, but something like, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead to save me. Jesus, come into my heart. And sometimes they'll throw in, uh, save me, change me, and bring me to heaven or, or something like that. It's been a while since I've heard one of these. But usually after that, there may be a church leader or a prayer partner who comes forward, speaks with them for a few minutes and gives them a new Bible maybe, then lets them go do a victory lap and sends them on their merry way. They've crossed the finish line. They get to do that victory lap, right? They are in. Churches keep track of and celebrate, you know, populating the kingdom by however many hands went up or how many came forward. And there's this feeling of pride, you know, checking the scoreboard. It's a validating feeling, no doubt. But are we maybe celebrating prematurely? The race has really just begun, hasn't it? We are to run this race with patience, laying aside every sin and the weight that entangles us, looking unto the author and perfecter of our faith, Messiah Yeshua. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his ministry, said, I have run the race. I have kept the faith. So in our desire for this instant gratification and validation, we we have this cause for premature celebration. And sometimes if enough people don't respond, the preacher then prolongs the altar call and becomes more and more manipulative in his or her language to coerce people into a profession of faith in Messiah. Paul Washer who is a passionate preacher of the gospel? <laughs> I enjoy him. <laughs> this dude gets fired up. So check him out when you get a chance, Paul Washer. But he says that the sinner's prayer has, I think he says definitively, but uh, I may be wrong in that, but he says it has probably led more people to hell than any other thing in modern times. He compares it to infant baptism. People that, you know, believe that if they say a prayer over their baby and sprinkle them with water, that no matter how they live, how they live their life or how their life turns out, no matter what they do, they go to heaven because they were baptized as a baby, not in any way scriptural, period. Perhaps another time, Lord willing, we can dig into that one. We can talk more about baptism. Good, good topic of discussion. Child dedication, yeah, I get that, And but when a child reaches the age of accountability, they must make a decision as to whom they will serve. It's not based on that, that dedication prayer that mom and dad said with the pastor or being sprinkled with water by a priest. It's not. It is a decision one makes to surrender their life to Messiah Yeshua. So anyway, back on track here. The the prayer of salvation, where does it come from? Well, most will go to Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. And there's even like, it's called the Romans road uh, to some of you who have been around the church for a while, right? They go to Romans 3 and then Romans 6 and then Romans 10 and they talk about, how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life eternal through Messiah Yeshua. And then they jump here to Romans 10:9 and 10. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart it is believed for righteousness and with the mouth it is confessed for salvation. Well, there it is, Brad. you just you just gave it to us. I mean, that's the salvation prayer. That's a prayer of salvation right there. How can you argue with that? Well, first off, I'm not looking for an argument necessarily. Um, sharing some sharing some from the scriptures, but I'm definitely what I'm not trying to do is condemn anyone who has intentions of evangelizing and leading people to a relationship with God through Messiah Yeshua. That's not my point here. I'm not trying to blow anybody up. Um, But what I hope to do is bring awareness to a flaw in modern church tradition that is incredibly dangerous with eternal ramifications. This is a common passage. I've used it myself incorrectly. So pot meet kettle. Kettle, hi, I'm pot. All right. I have have examined and, and looked at the plank in my own eye in this situation. And the thing is, when we learn of errors in our doctrine or theology, we must, A, repent, and B, correct them. So... Let's take a look at this passage in its context to better grasp what is being said here because I do not believe at all that this supports a one-time prayer of eternal salvation. I do certainly believe that our relationship with God, being born again, begins with prayer. Yes, Second Corinthians 517 tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. Old things have passed away. There will be evidence if one is in Messiah, born again, a new creation. Old things pass away, new things come. So let's take a look at the whole of Romans chapter 10. Get some context. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not based on knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on Torah. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will go up into heaven. That is to bring Messiah down. Or who will go down into the abyss. That is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, it is believed for righteousness and with the mouth, it is confessed for salvation. For scripture, the scripture says, whoever trusts in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all richly generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of Adonai shall be saved. How then shall they call on one in whom they have not trusted? And how shall they trust in the one they have not heard of? And how shall they hear without someone proclaiming? And how shall they proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. But not all heeded the good news. For Isaiah says, Adonai, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Messiah. But I say, have they never heard? Indeed, they have heard for their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation with a nation empty of understanding. I will vex you. And Isaiah is so bold as to say, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became visible to those who did not ask for me. But about Israel, he says, all day long, I stretched forth my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So the context of Romans chapter 10, and again, I encourage you read through all of the book of Romans to bring everything else into its context, because stopping in certain places may lead some to, to reconsider, um, uh, Replacement theology. And no, that's not what this is saying at all. So you've got to read it all to continue on in its context. But as for Romans ten nine and 10, the two verses we were talking about, again, we can see that this is not a template for a, for a prayer of salvation. That's not what this is set up to be. In reading this, I'm really reading, again, the entire letter to the church in Rome. We see not a template for a prayer of eternal salvation. First, Paul is writing to believers. Okay, he's writing to the church in Rome. They are already believers. Second, he is speaking about his heart for Israel and how they are missing the completion of their faith, Messiah, Yeshua. They're missing the important puzzle piece here, the completion, the Messiah, Yeshua. I don't see any of this or any other scriptures endorsing or assuring salvation by one prayer or declaration. Paul says we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, what's to work out if it already happened? When we said that prayer, what is to work out if that's our salvation? What have we to fear or tremble about if we said the right words and it's already a done deal? And again, just going back, jumping back real quick to verse 4, Romans 10 and verse 4 for Messiah is the goal of the Torah. It's what it, Messiah is what what the Torah, what the the Hebrew texts and scriptures have always pointed towards Messiah Yeshua, he is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting it 's a continuation it 's not just a one time a one time deal. I believe that we do a great disservice to those we are trying to evangelize and to the gospel when we try to encapsulate in eternity into one prayer. It cheapens the gospel it cheapens what God has done the great work that he has done to save people. We spend, however long, 20 minutes to an hour preaching a message and then induct people into heaven in the remaining seven minutes of the service. I don't think this is biblical at all. Being born again is a process. Yes, it begins with prayer. But the conversation needs to be more thorough. You recognize you're a sinner? Excellent. Okay, that's good. So what does that mean to you? Let me explain. Let me help share with you what that means. It means that you are living contrary to God. You are out of his favor. Okay. Do you acknowledge that the way you have lived is contrary to God's ways and that you are deserving of death and hell? The good news is God loves you so much that he sent his son, the Messiah Yeshua to die as an offering atoning for your sin. He paid the price for your sin. God wants you in his life so much that he had his son die on your behalf to bring you back to him. And in order for this to happen, you must repent That means that you come before the Holy God of the universe and confess that you have rebelled and defied his word and his ways living contrary to him, but that you don't want to live that way anymore. You want to turn away from your ways and turn to obey God's ways. You must confess your desire for Yeshua. To be the Lord of your life. Meaning that your life is not your own anymore. You are going all in to follow the Messiah Yeshua. And be reconciled, connected to God in a right relationship. Through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God Yeshua. There should be conversation and explanation with, with these things, and yes, it start, again, it starts with prayer, but shouldn't the decision to enter an eternal relationship take some time to ponder, take some time for the individual to consider so they understand exactly what it is they are doing? Because we know that there, there have been many professions of faith that are done out of an emotional outburst, out of an immediate need for something, out of pressure or manipulation. Have you ever seen an altar call where the the preacher instructs everyone in the congregation to repeat this prayer after me? Everyone in this building, you repeat this after me. And then he says the, the sinner's prayer or the prayer of salvation, and then after saying amen, he asks, is there anyone in here who has prayed that prayer for the first time today? Well, congratulations, you're now going to heaven. Wait, what? That's not how this works at all. There's no example anywhere in scripture of how that works as evangelism, of how the disciples went out and, and did that. Not at all. The gospel is not Asking Yeshua into our hearts. The gospel is clearly spelled out. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. Believe on the son of man. The Lord Messiah Yeshua. And believing on him. Does not just mean believing in him. That he exists. It means believing all he is. And all that he taught. It means to follow him. Exclusively. He said. If you love me. Keep my commandments. We read earlier, if one is in Messiah, he is a new creation, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. He's a new creation. So to be in Messiah is a continual relationship. Not just a a one-time point of contact. It's like, like, if I met you one time 30 years ago and haven't seen you since... Right, we just we met, introduced each other. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm from, I'm Brad. I'm from here, and yeah, we exchanged pleasantries, talked. Haven't seen you since. Have we known each other for thirty years? No, we met once thirty years ago. There's no relationship there. It's not like oh yeah, I've been friends with that guy for thirty years. No, I have not. There's no depth to that relationship. We're not in each other's lives at all. In John. Chapter 15, verse 4, Yeshua says, Abide in me and I will abide in you. The branch cannot produce the branch cannot itself produce fruit unless it abides on the vine. Likewise, you cannot produce fruit unless you abide in me. So in place of the word abide, some translations say remain. Remain in me and I will remain in you. But abide Has actually to me, has has deeper context to it because it means live in me. I am your life source, live in me. So either way, this is not just two people passing by with a holy high five, tag, you're it. Hey, guess what, you're in. No, he says we can't produce fruit if we don't abide and remain or remain in him. The tree is known by its fruit. So if we've got no fruit, or we've got rotten fruit, what kind of tree are we? It takes time for a tree to produce fruit. It's a growing process. As a born-again, new creation, all the old things don't just instantaneously fall away, and all the new things don't just magically appear. It takes time and discipleship to grow and this just dawned on me. Wow. For the first three years, according to the Torah, for the first three years, no one may eat of the fruit of a, of a tree, a tree that produces fruit. You can't eat of its fruit for the first three years. And actually, then the fourth year, all the fruit is set aside for Adonai Elohim as an offering and then in the fifth year then others may eat of that fruit wow I I think there's something to that when Messiah compares us to fruit bearing trees I think there's something more there the depth of the truth of that as far as the fruit that's in our lives and when that fruit when we can share that fruit with other people, I think there's something there I'll dig into that anyway. it is important that we remember we are not called to make converts okay I don't, I'm not a fan of that word anyway, but that'll be for another time, maybe Lord willing, but i'm not a fan of that word, but anyway, we're not called to make converts or to count how many hands were raised in a, in a service. we are called to make disciples, very specifically it says that in matthew twenty eight Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we make disciples, then we bring them into the fellowship so they may learn how to live as a follower of Messiah. This is challenging because in most modern churches, they are what is now called seeker-friendly, which means in many if not most instances, the message is softened. Only milk is served to avoid offending any non-believers, any seekers that are in there who have not established a relationship with God yet through Messiah Yeshua. So the message gets really watered down and then confusion can result because There are many people engaging in a variety of conversations and activities, which uh, in a lot of cases can be contrary to the scriptures. So a new believer going in will probably have some difficulty determining how he or she should live as a follower of Messiah. And this is because we have flipped the script on evangelism, discipleship, and the church. And since we have done so, flipping the script, and instead of disciples going out to preach the gospel, make new disciples, and then invite them to church, and then bring them into the church to learn how disciples are supposed to live as followers of Messiah, we just invite people to the church, hope the preacher leads them to the Lord, and then what happens is the message of how followers are to live, well, it's watered down. So that those again who have not yet declared themselves disciples of Jesus, Yeshua, well, they can be they can be comfortable and not offended. Don't want to be one of those judgmental churches, you know, that preaches stuff like obedience. <sighs> talk about obedience! Oh man, yeah, you talk about obe- obeying. That's legalism, my friend. That's how it's described nowadays. That's legalism. I have been told (laughs) that when you talk about obeying, you talk about obedience, that is the great bait and switch. Yep. You lured me in here with the gummy bears of grace, and now you want me to eat the onions of obedience. Nuh-uh. That's legalism. And I'm not doing it. (sighs) One cannot say a sinner's prayer or a prayer of salvation, declare themselves saved, and then go on continuing to live like the devil. No, it's not how it works. As I have said before, if obedience is legalism, who do we know that walked in perfect obedience to the laws and commands of the Lord? Yeshua, right? So, are you here to tell me that he's the greatest legalist ever? Well, God forbid it. And no, of course you don't want to, well, no, I'm not saying that. No, not at all. See, Brad, he lived in obedience, so we don't have to. doesn't matter how we live, because he lived perfectly. And so when we ask him into our hearts, it's all good. Oh, man. Okay. No, 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 no. And I'm going to paraphrase Thomas Sowell here. Um, He he said something to the effect of, regardless of how popular or well-accepted a lie becomes, It is still a lie, no matter how many times it's repeated. Popularity does not make it truth. So to say, Yeshua lived in obedience, so we don't have to. We ask Jesus into our hearts, and we don't have to worry about obeying because he lived it for us. We don't have to. We can live however we want, or some other variation of that sentiment. Okay? It's a lie. Straight up lie. No scripture to back it. It is a perversion of the scriptures and it is damaging and it is leading people away from a relationship with the living God. So no matter how popular or how often it's repeated, it's not true. You cannot back that up with scripture in its proper context. The cross, my friends, the cross... The crucified Messiah is not the great loophole of avoiding obedience. It is rather the great catalyst for us to desire to obey. When we recognize the great love of the Father, when we become aware of the depths to which he has gone to bring us into a relationship with him, that the king of the universe would offer his only begotten son as the atoning sacrifice to reconcile his disobedient, defiant, rebellious creation, a dirt creature that has openly defied him and his ways, the clay that has told the potter he doesn't matter, and saying through word and deed that his ways are meaningless, that the son of the living God, the perfect one, the obedient one, would be killed to reconcile us to a right relationship with the Father, the potter, the Creator. If one is not broken, realizing his or her sinfulness in the light of the holiness and perfection of the living God and humbled to tearful, broken repentance, then I would have to wonder if such a person has ever truly met the risen lamb who was slain, Messiah Yeshua. And when upon coming to this place of brokenness, turning towards God, seeking to be saved from eternal punishment, so as to spend eternity in God's kingdom. If one is not compelled to follow his ways as a response to his unconquerable, passionate love and desire to be with us, I would say that person knows nothing of the gospel, repentance, restoration, reconciliation, or redemption, period. Not a thing. Our desire to obey is not our salvation. Our obedience is not our salvation. Our desire to obey the living God is our response to the saving grace of the Lord, our God. When Yeshua is our Lord, we will take up our cross Dying to ourselves to live in love, love for the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul and strength and love for our neighbors and to walk and live in faith, trusting him every step of the way. We are saved by grace through faith and we will walk in obedience, following as Messiah walked, walking as he walked in love in faith and obedience. We are a set apart people. Because of what God has done. We are created for good works in Messiah Yeshua. Because of what God has done. Hallelujah. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I hope that this has blessed you. I hope that it has challenged you. I appreciate you. And all who listen. Who subscribe, share, listen, like. And review and rate. I thank you all for that. Please continue doing so. Because... We are beggars and as a beggar, if you have found the bread of life, it is incumbent upon you to let others know where you found it, the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua. So let's go out and give them heaven. Shalom.